Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor John Rasmussen at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. God's grace, mercy, and peace be with each and every one of you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd encourage you to reach out in front of you, grab a Bible uh, or the one you brought with, open up to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, We're going to be taking a look at uh, the account of Jesus uh, multiplying the uh, loaves and the fish and feeding the crowds. Uh, This is likely a a pretty familiar story to you. Uh, In fact, it's the only miracle I'm aware of that is reported in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all record this for us. In fact, it's a miracle that happens twice, and so you'll see that not only in chapter 14 today, but in uh, Matthew chapter 15, Jesus will feed the 4,000 in the next chapter. Uh, it's actually a text that comes up in our lectionary readings once every year, and so chances are, you know, if you've been in the church your whole life, you've probably heard 40, 50, 60 sermons on this text, perhaps, uh, because it just comes up so often. In fact, I, uh, right behind me, uh, we have it uh, right on the banner, our liturgical banner uh, for this season after Pentecost has the fish and the loaves, a reminder of this very pivotal, very foundational miracle in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, so we'll look at Matthew chapter 14. By the way, that's on page 820. And as we look at the text today, I want to focus on uh, the difference between having a scarcity mindset and a mindset of abundance. And so just to kind of flesh that out for you a little bit, what what each means, uh, here's what it means to have a scarcity mindset. Um, You know, if you've ever walked into the kitchen and there's been one single piece of cake sitting there on the counter, uh, maybe left over from a birthday party or something, and nobody else is around, and you, you, you grab a fork, you grab a plate, and you say, I'm going to eat that piece of cake. It's the right time, right, for me to enjoy this delicious piece of cake. And right as you sit down, about to put the first bite in your mouth, somebody in your family walks in the kitchen and says, hey, can I have some of that? And immediately, what's your reaction? It's to be, no. <laughs> this is mine. Uh, this is just for me. There's not enough for everybody. In fact, you know, maybe you have another person say, oh, I want some too. And if you have children, it might uh, develop into a dispute, right? Of That was for me. I saved that for myself. And that would be a scarcity mindset, right? It's that we don't have enough. There's not enough to go around. We have to compete for resources. We have to be stingy and selfish about the things that we have. And this can apply to all kinds of things. It can apply to, of course, resources. It can apply to, you know, generosity uh, in our church community. It can apply to uh, the love and the forgiveness that we share in relationships with other people. Uh, We may have a scarcity mindset. But to contrast with that mindset, we have what's called an abundance mindset. An abundance mindset means there's more than enough, We don't have to compete. You don't have to ask the question, am I going to have? Because there's plenty and there's a willingness to share. This can be, of course, with resources. It can also be with relationships. Like if you've ever been, you know, known somebody where you clearly know where you stand with that person and you know that even if you make a mistake or you say something that sounds kind of stupid, 
Uh, you know that person has an abundance of grace for you. You can contrast that with somebody where you're not really sure where you stand with that person, and you're always thinking about your actions and your words. Am I saying the right thing? Will I be accepted? You have the difference between abundance in a relationship and also scarcity. Um, So when I think of abundance, I think, for example, of uh, Thanksgiving here at Holy Cross. Thanksgiving Eve, we gather for worship uh, on that Wednesday. And we started doing something last year I don't think we've done in past years. We started having a Thanksgiving feast meal right before the worship service. And then afterwards, as we've done for so many years, we have our pie social. It's great. You get way more food than you can handle before worship. Hopefully you don't fall asleep, right? And then after, you just top it off with pie. And nobody's asking the question when we have these meals, is there going to be enough? There is an absolute abundance. In fact, when I go to the pie social, I usually eat two, maybe three pieces of pie, uh, right? And you might too. And nobody's fighting over, is there going to be enough pumpkin pie or custard pie? There's plenty. Or I think about when I was in college, uh, my friends and I, we used to go to a friend's house in Colorado uh, on spring break. Uh, Colorado was a little bit more interesting than Nebraska back in those days in college. We'd go skiing and, uh, and all that. And we would stay with a friend of mine and his mother, who uh, was from, from Germany. She was a great cook. We called her Mrs. Graham. And she would feed us, us hungry college students. And, but she would feed us to the point that we hurt right? I mean, maybe you've had somebody like this in your life. I mean, she would, she would cook this wonderful German food, uh, exotic things like head cheese sandwiches, all these different things. And she would just insist that we would eat and eat and eat until we were literally uncomfortable. <laughs> and we said, Mrs. Graham, we can't eat anymore. She's like, oh no, you can eat more. Don't want to send you home hungry. Uh, that's an abundance mindset. It means there's plenty. There's always going to be more than enough. And there is an insistence that we partake, right? So I want to apply this to the text uh, because in the text today, we're going to see both a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset. So look with me at verse 13, the first verse of the text. Now, when Jesus heard this, we have to pause here and ask, well, what is this? Uh, We have to look at the context. If you read the earlier verses of uh, chapter 14, John the Baptist, who was in prison, uh, that great prophet and cousin of Jesus Christ, was uh, beheaded by Herod. And so we imagine that Jesus is grieving, that this is heavy news. Uh, Perhaps he's tired after healing so many and teaching. It says that after he heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. So we imagine Jesus trying to get away for a little bit of rest and relaxation uh, to commune with his Father in prayer. We see Jesus doing this often in the Gospels, that he seeks out a quiet place. Now, I don't think it's any mistake that Matthew tells us that this is a desolate place because that word desolate literally means it's a wilderness or desert place. So as you read this text, you have to think, have we ever heard a story in Scripture where there is a crowd of people in a desert wilderness place, right? Of course we have. Book of Exodus, right? So turn with me to the book of Exodus. I just want to take you on a brief pit stop here so you can see really the story underneath this story. 
Uh, I believe that Matthew wants us to remember this story of the wandering in the wilderness as we read this text. So Exodus 16, that's on page 58, second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, chapter 16. Now to give you a little bit of the backstory here, uh, you may know that uh, God's people, Israel, they were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. Uh, But God promised that He would send a Savior, a Deliverer. And so Moses comes and preaches good news to them. He he leads them out of their slavery, out of the grasp of uh, Pharaoh, uh, this wicked ruler, this oppressor. And so they've come out of this uh, slavery situation. The same way that you and I got saved is the way they got saved, by grace alone through faith. They didn't earn it. God, by grace, brought them out. They simply followed and trusted Moses' lead. But then it becomes a really bad road trip. Maybe some of you have had a summer road trip like this this summer. (laughs) Um, Chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness... And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So you can see that this crowd is now, they're spiraling, right? Um, They are, I guess, hangry, right? They're spiraling. They're having a lot of trust issues with Moses. Uh, They think... I mean, they have a scarcity mindset, right? They think that God, the God who redeemed them out of love and grace alone, they think that God is like Pharaoh. God is like Egypt. And so they think that God just brought them out here to starve them to death and kill them, right? And yet God even approaches their unbelief with an abundance mindset. You know how the story goes, right? That God feeds them in the wilderness miraculously, something he's never done before, right? Ever since, as far as we know, that he fed them with the bread from heaven. Uh, In Hebrew, it's called manna, which means in Hebrew, what is it? They didn't know what it was, so they called it manna. That food was provided for them daily. And as that food was provided to the people of Israel, Because God knew they had a scarcity mindset, God said to them, only take what you need each day. Don't hoard it, you know, like people did with toilet paper in 2020. Just take what you need. What did the people do? They hoarded it. They took more than they needed because they had a scarcity mindset. Uh, And yet God continued to give to them even though they failed to trust His abundant heart. Let's go back to the text now in Matthew 14. We'll go now to verse 14. So when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, we've heard this before in Matthew's gospel already this summer as we've been walking through it, right? Remember when Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep, without a shepherd, again and again. This is the heart of Jesus. He has abundant mercy, pity, compassion. Literally in the Greek it says, he felt it in the guts for them. Pity. 
And so notice that Jesus does not in the least have a scarcity mindset towards these crowds. They come to him with all their problems, their issues, uh, their needs, and there's no guarantee that these people are even going to follow Jesus. In fact, who even knows? They may even be part of the crowds who will call for his crucifixion later on in the Gospels. They have, like you and me, they have nothing they can bring the Lord, right? And so they come, and with all that need and all those problems, Jesus doesn't have a scarcity mindset. Jesus has abundant compassion for them. He heals them. He teaches them. This is a good reminder for all of us that if you ever kind of wonder, does God get tired of me? Does God, does He get wearied by my problems and complex issues and my prayers? Does He get weary of me? And the answer is a complete, absolute no. You might get weary of yourself or one another, but but God in Christ does not grow weary of you in the least. He says, bring me all the stuff, all the problems, and his heart will always be abundant for you. Well, that's God's heart, but now we're going to see the disciples do not have the same heart. Uh, look at what it says in verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him. By the way, in the Gospels, whenever we see the disciples coming to Jesus with some question or some advice, it's usually never good. <laughs> It's usually like, all right, what's going to happen now? Uh, so the disciples come to him and they said, this is a desolate wilderness desert place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So notice that the disciples have a scarcity mindset. There's not enough. There's not enough daylight. There's not enough food. There's not enough patience. These people are annoying. We need to get rid of them. Send them away, Jesus. And we don't need to be too hard on the disciples, um, right? Um, they're often like us. They have a scarcity mindset. We see this throughout the Gospels, by the way. Uh, so remember when uh, all the parents were bringing the children to Jesus, asking that they might be blessed by Jesus, and what do the disciples do? They say, get them out of here. Jesus doesn't have time for kids. And, of course, they have a scarcity mindset. Jesus has an abundance mindset. He says, bring the kids in. I've got time for them. And he blessed them. I remember Peter in uh, Matthew 18, he says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? The rabbis at this time said maybe two or three times, and then you can cut somebody out of your life. Uh, but... So Peter thinks he has an abundant mindset. He says, how about seven? That's a holy number. And Jesus says, oh, no, Peter, you have a scarcity mindset. Seventy-seven times seven. We're to forgive as abundantly as God forgives us, right? See, God has an abundance mindset. Now, we, we can't be too hard on the disciples because the disciples have a scarcity mindset because they haven't encountered yet the most profound act of love ever known when Christ lays down his life willingly upon the cross for our sins and is raised from the dead. And so if you read the book of Acts, you will see that after the Holy Spirit has been given on the day of Pentecost, these guys are no longer going to have a scarcity mindset. They, they will have their hearts changed and transformed by the abundant love of Christ, and that will cause them to go out into the world and share it. Let's continue with the text. 
Verse 16, we see Jesus' abundance mindset, but Jesus says, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. I love this. You give them something to eat, right? Uh, And they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish, which I think is code for Jesus. We brought our lunch and they didn't, and this is for us, right? Uh, This is our piece of cake. There's only one. Nobody else gets it. This is for me. And so then Jesus says in verse 18, he says, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. I think there's a, uh, a hint here about Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, right? I don't think that's a mistake in the text. Matthew wants us to think of Jesus as the good shepherd making his sheep lie down and rest and recline at table in the grass. Then it says, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Now, we don't even get a lot of details about this miracle. We don't even hear, like, how it all worked. We just know that there was five loaves and two fish. They passed it out, and everybody ended up full, and there was even leftovers. And as we'll see in just a moment, I don't think the focus that Matthew wants us to see is so much the miracle itself, but it is a means to an end to see an even greater miracle of God's abundance. Verse 20, and notice in verse 20 and 21, I want you to see the abundance here, okay? And they all ate and were satisfied. Seconds, thirds, right? Every stomach was full. And they took up the 12 baskets full, not half full, but full of the broken pieces left over. So we even have leftover. There's overflowing abundance. The 12 basketfuls. Some scholars think that this is to remind us of the 12 tribes of Israel, that there is plenty, right, for all of Israel. And those who ate were about 5,000 men beside women and children. So there's overflowing generosity from the abundant, generous heart of God. Now, we need to stop at this point because we could very easily misinterpret this text, and I'm sure there's a lot of terrible sermons out there that would say this. The point of this text is that sometimes just a little bit is more than enough. And if we really open up our eyes and maybe we open up our hearts, we can learn how to share. It's not the point of the text. It's not some kind of moralistic, do better, try harder uh, message. No, I believe that the text is showing us the overwhelming generosity of our God's abundant heart and that this is a miracle that is to point us to an even greater miracle that Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life, will lay down his life for us in the cross. And in that event, he will fill us eternally, forgiving our sins completely and giving us life eternal. Because if you read John chapter 6, what do the crowds want to do? They want to go and take Jesus and make him king because they think, hey, he could just do this every day and all of our problems would be solved. But Jesus knows that we have a much deeper problem, that that our, our bellies could be filled and we could have everything we need in this life, but our souls could still be lost in our sins not knowing our God, not knowing his life and forgiveness. And so Jesus actually wants to give you and me more than we would even dare to ask. And so this miracle presses us into a deeper miracle, which is where Christ will lay down his life 
for the life of the world so that we might be satisfied and nourished by him abundantly forever. You see, God wants to give you more than you could ever even dare to ask for. And maybe your mind is now going to run to, you know, money and wealth and health and all those types of things that the prosperity preachers on TV are going to talk about. That's not what we're talking about. God does promise to meet our needs. When I say that God wants to give you more than you could ever even dare to ask for is this, is that you might have a limit on God. Likely, you think that there's a limit to God's forgiveness and patience and grace in your life, right? But in the giving of Jesus, his whole entire life for you on the cross, there's no limits anymore. God doesn't hand you out his grace and forgiveness piecemeal. He hands it out entirely. Think like fire hose, right? And so this is why the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 says that where our sin has abounded, where it's been just out of control, Paul says that God's grace abounded all the more, even more abundantly. Jesus says that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy in John chapter 10, but he says that he, the good shepherd, came that you and I might have life abundantly to the full until it overflows. Or in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul, as he's praying for the, the church in Ephesus, he prays that they would be given the power to understand the height and the depth and the length and the breadth, the fullness of the love of Jesus Christ that passes all human understanding. Your best understanding of God's love doesn't even touch the love that he has for you in Christ. There's no limits, friends. There's no limits. It's on tap forever. And it's freely given to you in Christ. We might be tempted to think about God as having scarcity because maybe sometimes we think God's like us. But that's not true. God is rich in abundance and grace. It never runs out. And so I encourage you to think about God, maybe think about God like Mrs. Graham, right? Feeding you until you're like, I can't, I can't handle anymore, right? That's what he gives to you. Indeed, that's what he gives to us in the supper today in his body and blood. And my prayer for us as a congregation is that this mindset, this mindset of abundance would trickle down into our hearts, into our words, into our relationships, into the way that we treat one another, the way that we think about the mission that God's given to us, uh, the way that we think about raising up pastors and servants of the church, right? That we wouldn't have a scarcity mindset. We would have an abundant mindset because that's who God is. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.